stop bullying and shouting at the lower orders? Never! There's only one way to win a campaign. Shout, shout and shout again! This is Shot and Shield. Listening in Omaha, Nebraska, Falkenstein, Germany and Panchgani, India. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast, a podcast dedicated to 19th century wargaming and history, a program meant to be heard while you're painting your miniatures and building your terrain. I am your host, the Grand Duke Scott from the Duchy of Florida. Hello. I'm waiting for an explanation. Speak up, Manchester. Well, speak up! We were swindled, sir. We? Who swindled you? Well, we don't want to make any charges until we have further proof, sir. Further proof? Well, you practically wrecked a village. You surely didn't do that, Manchester, without proof. Well, sir, we had our suspicions. Suspicions of what? Come on, I have no time to wheedle the story out of you. Well, sir, we bought a map. From a private in a certain Scottish regiment, sir. No, no, no. I did it. I bought the map myself, sir. Now listen, don't you try to shield your friends, Cutter. And it won't do you two any good to hide yourselves behind Sergeant Cutter's generosity. Now come on out with it. A map of what? Well, of like Singale, sir. Yes, sir. And the privilege of diving into it to our arch content. Diving for what? Uh, uh, for emerald, sir. A barge full, sir. According to the information I bought, it was sunk in the year 241. I can hardly believe it. Ballantyne, a man of your intelligence. Majesty, at your age. They was the spoils of a Maharaja, sir. Thank you, Cutter. As for you two, I ought to take away your stripes, not only for insubordination, but for idiocy. Sheer, childish, soft-brained idiocy. So how's it been going with you? Haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> Look, everything's good. It's all good. Life's good. Uh, it's been a little while since I've spoken with you. Uh, I've received a bunch of communication. Let's see, I got some texts. I got some emails. I got some communications through the messenger. I got a carrier pigeon. And unless you're a member of the uh, Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group on Facebook or a member of uh, the Shot and Shield thing on Twitter, X, whatever it's called, the at Shot and Shield, you probably don't know what's going on. You're like, well, where'd he go? He's gone. He's like a ghost. Whew. Right? So look, my day job is a retail manager. Now, I was at a company for seven years, and they didn't think I could be a store manager. And I was like, well, you guys suck. I'm out. And I went to a new company in March, and I've been with them since, well, in October, they came to me and said, hey, you're the new store manager. No no interview, no application, no n- nothing. It was just like, okay, you're the guy. <laughs> like, oh, okay, which I'm good with. I wanted that. But I thought there was going to be a different process, but there wasn't. It was, okay, you're the guy. Uh, And then at that point, it was 12 to 15-hour days, open to closes, putting together a leadership team, uh, preparing for the holidays, stocking the holidays, running through the holidays, dealing with Black Friday and and special family days. And it's crazy how the holiday season runs. It's like nonstop. And you know what? The store did good. My team did good. Uh, I feel good uh, since, uh, let's see, uh, three months, five days off. Not too bad. Not too bad. But I'm not complaining because that's just the nature of the beast. So it doesn't really bother me. That's just the way it is. It does, however, really kind of sink into your time to do other things, such as the Shot and Shield Supercast. So hence, I had to kind of put it on hiatus for just a little while until I could get back in gear, get a little bit of rest. Now we're going to start cranking again. Or cranking is fast as I, I, I crank. So there you go. Now you're in the know. Now, some more quick info for you about the show. Uh, the shows are going to be a little shorter as I'm trying to adapt to my uh, work schedule with doing the show. And then also, I need painting time, yo. 
I got some stuff I got to paint. <laughs> so anyway, I have two shows coming out this month. This one right here, which uh, just dropped now, and then another one on the 25th, which I'll tell you more about a little bit later in the program. Now, with that said, on this episode of Shot and Shield, we're traveling to Australia to Game Australia and a short dose of vintage radio specials called Famous Escapes. The first one's called Buckley's Chance, then Keegan's Gang of Australia, and the infamous story of the Kelly Gang of Australia. But first, let's hit those emails. Germany calling, London calling, Moscow calling, Washington DC calling, Peking calling, Sydney calling. Message for you, sir. It's time to answer some emails from all around the world. So you can email me at shotandshield at gmail.com, and I'll try to either address your questions uh, or email you directly. Uh, and our first email comes from Jamie listening in Utah. And Jamie writes, uh, greetings from Utah. Greetings. I love the show, and I'm looking into rule sets but I'd love to hear a show on wargaming in Australia and the warfare with Aboriginal tribes. My wife's from Australia, so that would be fun to game. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Jamie. Jamie, uh, thank you very much. As I said a little while ago, uh, just uh, not even a minute ago, I'll be doing a segment today on gaming Australia. And when I was researching this and putting this segment together, it struck me how little... I know about Australia outside of pop culture references and what the band Midnight Oil was telling me through their music. Which, by the way, that's not meant as a joke. I love that band. It's one of my favorite bands in the world. And every time they came out with a new album, I'd find myself reading up on or looking into some of the issues they were bringing up in their music. I mean, I'm dead serious. A Place Without a Postcard, Red Sails in the Sunset, Head Injuries were all amazing albums. And that, that's not to take away from the more commercially successful uh, Diesel and Dust or Blue Sky Mining, you know, at all. Those were just as amazing. And I learned a lot because every time uh, they'd sing about some subject, it made me want to go to the encyclopedia or newspapers or whatever and try to find information about their subject so I'd be more informed. It was just very interesting. I think it's noteworthy to point out that Australia has this rich and complicated history beyond the hard-drinking, surfing, boomerangs, thus not a knife, this is a knife, crocodile hunter, and Vegemite sandwiches. I mean, there's more to Australia than that. So when researching uh, my segment Gaming Australia, I found some great ideas, especially for skirmishing. So Jamie, thank you for the email. And Gaming Australia is coming up in the next segment. Now, let's continue uh, this email from Derek listening in Nevada on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, Derek writes, Duke Scott, I am missing the show. I hope more are coming. I have union figures to paint, and I've already listened to all of your episodes, twice each. I'm Jonesin. Derek, I'm with you. I, I got to get some painting done myself, so I'm, I'm right there with you. Anyway, Derek continues, I was always curious, why do you mention towns at the beginning and end of your show? Also, is there any place where nobody has listened? Laugh out loud. I can't see why there would be, but I was kind of curious. Thank you and great job, Derek. P.S. I am in Nevada 
and I listen on Apple Podcasts. Derek, thank you, and I do apologize uh, again for missing a few months. I hope you can uh, now get back to your union figs. All right, so (laughs) I open and close uh, the show with cities because I know that it's always cool to hear your city and wonder if it's you that I'm talking about. When I was growing up uh, listening to uh, radio in Miami, whenever somebody would say my hometown, I'd be like, are they, are they talking about me? And it was always, it's always something. So it's just kind of a habit. It's something I think is pretty cool. As far as any areas that have uh, not listened, well, in the U.S., I'm fortunate to have listeners in 49 states. There's one state missing that has no listeners to the Shot and Shield podcast, and that is Vermont. Apparently, there are no war gamers in Vermont. Really? Can somebody please move to Vermont and listen to the Shot and Shield podcast so I can say I have all 50 states? Please? Please? In Europe, I'm waiting on a few countries in the Balkans, Estonia, and Belarus to find the show. In South America, Shot and Shield has the majority of the continent. In Asia, the show is waiting for listeners in Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, Burma, Mongolia, Nepal, and China to find the show. Uh, All of uh, Australasia, is that correct? Is that how I pronounce that? If I pronounce that incorrectly, I I totally apologize. But it's Australia, New Zealand, New Guinea, Indonesia, that group right there, Uh, all all those countries have listened to, to the program or have listeners in, the, in those uh, countries who have listened to the program. And there's only three countries in Africa that have listened to the Shot and Shield podcast. I guess it's kind of interesting. A little uh, inside baseball, a little behind the scenes stuff. But I get all the information from my podcast host, Captivate, and another service that I subscribe to uh, regarding rankings. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I hope that Answers your question, Derek. Uh, Thanks for the love. Excellent. All right, let's go to the next email here. Another one. Uh, This one from uh, Alan Curtis. Now, Alan Curtis, if you remember, he joined me uh, to talk about his book, From Atacama to the Andes, Battles of the War of the Pacific, 1879 to 1883. That's on Hellion and Company Publishers. So it is a great book, and he was a great guest. And he had a ton of great information. And uh, Alan writes, Hi, Scott. i uh, just been listening to you on your excellent First July podcast in which you mentioned Outpost uh, War Game Services. I have in the past used them for my armies uh, for the end of the Roman Empire in Britannia and for the War of the Pacific Armies. Sadly, the owner, Jeff Bevan, passed away last year from leukemia. Which, yeah, uh, we, we talked about that, and it's, it's sad. Anyway, Alan continues, uh, the molds of the 28mm figures have been taken up by Badger Games, although they have not taken up the 15mm figures, which has ruined my plans to expand my armies for the Lima campaign. As you say, the best alternative is to use the ACW figures and selected Franco-Prussian war troops and guns, which is a good tip. Take that into account. This is coming from a man who, he's an expert in the battles of the War of the Pacific. Okay? So he's saying to do this. He's a gamer himself. So there you go. Uh, Let's see. uh, Alan continues. There is one other South American war that might be of interest to your readers, or in this case, listeners. 
Uh, the War of the Peruvian-Bolivian Confederation from 1836 to 1839. There were some naval actions, but most of the battles were fought on land and culminated with the Battle of Yungay. P.S., thank you for the opportunity to be interviewed uh, about my book. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Alan. Thank you for coming on the uh, program. And once again, that book was called From Atacama to the Andes, Battles of the War of the Pacific, 1879 to 1883. Great read. And uh, Alan was a great guest, had a lot of great information. And you can find that on Hellion, Hellion and Company Publishers. Uh, furthermore, I... You know what, Alan? I, I hope you're listening because I failed to reply to your email. I apologize for that. It got, you know, I, I saw the email, I read the email, and then then I was working 4,000 hours <laughs> in a row, and it just kind of lost track. So, because uh, Alan said that in November. So, I apologize, Alan, and I, I hope you don't hate my guts. Secondly, though, I think that it's a great suggestion for more South American action, the war of the Peruvian and Bolivian Confederation, 1836 to 1839, which certainly falls within our wheelhouse here on Shot and Shield. Now, before we get into gaming Australia, let me tell you about Shot and Shield. It's brought to you by Dr. Harold's Hobby Supplies, your one-stop shop for tools, paint, glue, brushes, war game bases, display stands, model trees, static grass, dice, dice trays, and terrain materials, and even some miniatures. New items added every week. Dr. Harold is a new drop ship site and growing. See the growth at drherald.myshopify.com. Dr. Harold's Hobby Supplies, a proud sponsor of Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Oh, damn. From the land of the audio to the world of the visual. The Shot and Shield podcast is on YouTube. I use YouTube for supplementary information, such as watch-along videos, documentaries of interest, movies that I find that uh, best represent colonial or 19th century inspirations or gaming, and eventually video from interviews that I've uh, already done and that you've heard on the podcast. Just search out, in parentheses, Shot and Shield. You got to put the parentheses in there, parentheses, Shot and Shield, and parentheses, and you'll find it on the YouTube. There's also a link on the podcast info page. So check it out and subscribe to Shot and Shield on YouTube. Hey, what the blaze is this? A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. All right, Marines. This is Shot and Shield. Thank you for listening to Shot and Shield, the Supercast. And also thank you to Jamie in Utah for bringing up this topic. Gaming Australia. Now, interestingly, I found it kind of difficult to work this out. It, this was kind of tough. Now, hold on for a second. Before you start to give me the what, 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 what? Look, I am communicating to you that my knowledge about anything is based on what I've read, researched, or learned. I don't claim to be an expert. So if I present anything here that you hear 
fault with, that's okay. Again, I ain't an expert. So for me, it's the spirit of the thing. All right. So just putting that out there, let you know before you start uh, going full guns, telling me I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. That's okay. <laughs> All right. I just want to put that out there because I don't need some, you know, upset Australian flying over here and kicking me in my outback. All right. As I was saying, when it comes to gaming Australia in the 19th century, I found it kind of difficult to work it out. In my research, I'm not seeing a lot of conflict in Australia itself during the 1800s. Now, I know there was. There's a convict rebellion. There was something called the Rum Rebellion and a bunch of exploration. There is one notable encounter that is the Eureka Rebellion of 1854, which, you know, in a nutshell... A bunch of gold rush miners were upset about unfair mining fees, corrupt officials, uber harsh policing, and false promises from the government. So the miners, they built the stockade and they said, we're not going to pay anything. You're going to have to come and get us, which eventually the military finally got involved. So while half of the rebellion was sitting in the Eureka stockade, the other half had either left, you know, said, I don't want any more of this. And those that were still in the stockade were, you know, caught off guard by the military. They, you know, they were drinking their adult beverages, playing some poker, gambling and stuff like that. And the actual conflict was over in about an hour. Now, that's a super simple synopsis of this, okay? So before you get, no, it's more complicated than that, Scott. It's just a very simple synopsis, keeping it, keeping it short. Now, for those who don't know, this rebellion was a big deal in Australian history because of the impact it had on the national identity and the role of the burgeoning media in Australia for, you know, to influence public opinion. Now, for our purposes of wargaming, there is a healthy dose here to work with. We could wargame the Eureka Rebellion or do a Congo-style safari game to represent exploration of the outback. Maybe take a Wild West-style game to represent the relative lawlessness of the outlying areas with personalities like, well, Ned Kelly. Which, for anybody outside of Australia, this is the only guy we know. I understand for those of you inside Australia, you're like, well, there were so many more people, but I'm just, you know, for the rest of the world, Ned Kelly is it. And by the way, that's not a shot. Now, for us wargaming folk, miniatures are tough, but not impossible to come by. Now, when it comes to finding the miniatures, this is exactly what I do. I say, hey, look, Scott, you're going to be gaming this. Go find figs. Get your checkbook out. And so that's how I approach the search. I say, you know what? I'm going to do this. How am I going to find this? I want to find this. This is what I want to do. How am I going to make this work? And here's some of the stuff I found. So Dead Man's Hand has a selection of Ned Kelly miniatures in 28 millimeter. They have three decent sets. They got the Kelly Gang, Bush Ranger Gang, and State Police. So this is good if you want to do a Wild West type of uh, deal. Knuckle Buster Miniatures has a nice line of British War of 1812 28mm figures that would work good pretty well for the Eureka Rebellion, the military side, as well as they have a few Ned Kelly type figures as well. Obviously, Perry Miniatures has the Cape War figure line, which is probably best for bulking up your field force if you're going to play something in Australia and or game that in some sort of way. I think it's fairly easy to use U.S. Confederate militia troops from any company to represent the miners and bush rangers. You just have to ensure that they're wearing the slouch hat and not the kepi or the haversack, uh, and also that they don't have like a uniform on, that it's truly a militia type uh, figure. 
As for the Aboriginal tribes, Eureka Miniatures has a line called Denisovans, and they are the best I've seen to represent Aborigines. Seriously, they're spot on. They have the right shields, they have the right weapons, and I think this is probably the only place that I've found that you can get Aboriginal tribes that work really well for this for this particular theater. Now, when talking terrain, I think the terrain is going to be fairly easy. You're looking at Western-style buildings. They're readily available from everywhere. They're also easy to make. Uh, and then you could use greenery on desert without any worry whatsoever. So if you have a desert mat, you can use your green trees. You can use your, your green bushes and everything. You put them on the uh, the desert mat. And I think you got a pretty good Australian sort of landscape during this time period. Obviously, the closer you get to water, it's going to be more green. And the more you get out into the bush, and then it's going to be drier. And it's going to be more desert-like. So you, guys, you just got to figure out where exactly you want to do your your game. Now, rule set wise, during my research, I found a great piece online from Wargamers magazine using Sharp's practice from Two Fat Lardies. Uh, I've included a free download in the Shot and Shield podcast Wargaming group on the Facebook. Uh, some real good info there. As for rules uh, to use, the aforementioned Sharp's practice. Obviously, the men who would be kings, that's obvious. For me, I'd, I'd absolutely adapt Blood and Steel for it. I do want to point out Mad Dogs and Englishmen have a rule set and a book strictly for Australian stuff called Far Flung Conflicts, Australia and the East Indies. By the way, I do plan on having the author Jonathan Sutherland on Shot and Shield as soon as him and I can work out a recording time uh, because I think it would be really interesting to hear about some of the other things he has going on. But Mad Dogs and Englishmen, they have a rule set that's strictly for Australia and the East Indies. So you want to keep that in mind as well. But as far as John uh, Sutherland goes, uh, the author of Mad Dogs and Englishmen, I would have had him on to do this particular show. I just, with time and everything, um, I wasn't able to really give him enough notice ahead of time uh, to be able to uh, do that with me. So uh, that's on me. But, but John will be on. I'll make sure of it because he's a good guy good guy. He knows his stuff. So I really want to get him on to talk uh, not just about uh, uh, the Australian East Indies, but also the Mad Dogs and Englishmen uh, rule set. Now, I'm sure that there's a lot more to gaming Australia than I've just presented to you. Not being a connoisseur of Australia in that manner, it is hard for somebody like me to just go in and research what I can and then bam, hit it. And I would like to get some emails from those of you who live in Australia and give me some more information. What did I miss? I want to know. Shot and shield at gmail.com. Tell me what I missed, and I'll, I'll definitely present that in the uh, in forthcoming episodes of the program. Because I think it's important that we cover as many areas as possible during the 18, 1800s and 19th century, because it's such a rich tapestry of history and a rich tapestry of wargaming for us to, to, to play. And so I do ask you, who live in Australia, to uh, shoot me some of those emails uh, with some more information on the stuff that I missed, because I know I did. So there you go. That's my take on Gaming Australia. Still ahead, we go Vintage Radio Aussie style next on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Good luck against those elephants. Shot and Shield is on social media. There's the Twitter page at Shot and Shield. Please follow. There's a Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. It's open to all. Please join. 
and post some of your amazing games, paint jobs, and creations. Finally, the email, shotandshield at gmail.com. Email me if you have a question or a thought or even a complaint that you'd like read and answered on the podcast. Shot and Shield is on social media. This is Shot and Shield. It's going to hurt you a lot more than it will me, I'm happy to say. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. Discipline makes the strength of armies. Shot and Shield. Once again, Shot and Shield is brought to you by Dr. Harold's Hobby Supplies, your one-stop shop for tools, paint, glue, brushes, war game bases, display stands, model trees, static grass, dice, dice trays, and terrain materials, even some miniatures. Uh, I ordered a bunch of stuff over the uh, last uh, three months. Uh, got them uh, just a couple weeks ago, and it's good stuff. It's quality. Uh, you know, the, the price was right, and I didn't have to head out to the shop and especially the, the big bulk stores to, to fight the crowds and everything during the holiday season. So that was, a, that was definitely a plus. But Dr. Harold's Hobby Supplies. New items added every week. Dr. Harold is the new dropship site and growing. See the growth at drherald.myshopify.com. That's drherald, H-A-R-O-L-D, dot myshopify.com. Dr. Harold's Hobby Supplies, a proud sponsor of Shot and Shield. Now it's time for the Shot and Shield archaeological discovery in the audio world. Now, to keep with the Australian theme today, I present you with three short radio features from 1945 called Famous Escapes. Uh, these are produced in Australia as well. Uh, the first one is called Buckley's Chance. The next one, The Keegan Gang of Australia. And finally, the infamous story of the Kelly Gang of Australia. I will tell you that I did a little bit of editing on these, uh, but here is the first vintage adventure called Buckley's Chance on Shot and Shield. Famous Escapes. During the infancy of Australian settlement, the brutalities of the penal system encouraged convicts to desert into the bush. The fate that befell most of these runaways was to perish from lack of food or on the spears of the Aborigines. But to many convicts, these fates seemed preferable to remaining in the chain gang. Although Melbourne was not founded until 1835, several attempts were made before that year to plant colonies in Port Phillip. The first of these attempts took place in 1803, when Lieutenant Colonel Collins landed at what is now known as Sorrento with 300 convicts, their military guard, and a handful of free settlers. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Tucky. I observe the Nelson has arrived, sir. Yes, she sailed into the bay this afternoon. 
I have a reply from Governor King. What does he say? He says we may abandon the colony here and move to Tasmania. That's excellent. This is a hopeless site for a settlement. We mustn't waste any time in leaving. I'll have a pier built so that we can load our stores onto the Nelson. Very good, sir. It'll mean extra work for all hands. The convicts are pretty mutinous as it is. No, that can't be helped. I'll gazette an order that the convicts are to work all day on Saturdays and Sundays. If there's any trouble... Get along there, you men. I want to get you locked up for the night. We're going as fast as we can, sir. What with these leg irons? Any more of your insolence, Buckley, and I'll see you get 50 lashes. Pass along there. All right. That's a lot of them, Sergeant. You can lock them up for the night. But don't forget to have a card now. Over here a minute, will you leave? Away from the others. What is it, Buckley? Oh, carry your leg iron, can't you? I hear enough of it all day without you clanking it round in here. All right, Buckley, all right. Things is always bad for convicts. But now that they got us working all day Sundays with 50 lashes, if you look sideways at the guard... Oh, man, I'd be better off if he was an heathen nigger. Uh, I'm glad you feel like that. Why? Because I'm going to escape, and I want you to come with me. And get a bullet through me back? From the sodgers? No, no thanks, not for me. We'll watch our chance when there's no one looking. Even if we do get away, they'll soon catch us. You can't run with 30 pounds of iron clanking around your feet. Ain't you heard? What? Although we're working seven days a week, they ain't satisfied with the way the pier is getting built. They're never satisfied with nothing. No, but they're going to take our leg irons off. What? So that we can work faster. It gives us our chance. Maybe it does, but... But what? What's the use of escaping into the bush to starve? We ain't going to starve. Why not? Because we're going to China. Well, we get there. By walking, of course. But you've got to have a boat to get to China. No, you ain't. You walk. But there's an ocean in the way, ain't there? No, there ain't. China's just over the ranges. Are you sure of that? Of course I am. Wasn't it China that Christopher Columbus wanted to discover... I don't know. And he would have discovered it, too, if America hadn't been in the way. This is China. At least it's part of China. Yes. Now, Jan, it ain't more than a hundred miles away. But them niggers, they'll spear us. They won't do that. Why not? Because if we meet any of them, we pretend to be mad. Pretend to be mad? They think anyone who's mad is sacred. Sort of gourd, see? Well, Jan... Yes. All right. Good. We'll escape tomorrow morning. First chance we get. You believe me? Yeah. Feels great without our leg irons. Now wander away from the camp a bit. Like as you was taking a sort of stroll. All right. Then make a dash for it when you see me. Hey! Sentry! Stop those men! They've him, sir. Fire, then, blast you! Fire! No, sir, they go clean away. Well, Ducky, we embark for Tasmania tomorrow. Yes, sir. Everything will be aboard by noon. How many convicts got away in all? Six. Poor devils. Those that don't starve to death 
will be speared by the blacks. It appears that they believe that China is just over the ranges. Which ranges? Oh, the Dand... What what is it? The Dandenong Ranges, I think the blacks call them. It was Buckley who spread the rumor. Which was Buckley? He was that giant of a man with a golden beard. Oh, yes, I remember him. An excellent worker. I don't like deserting the poor brutes, even though they are convicts. But I'm afraid we'll have to leave them to their fate in the Dandenong What about turning back, Buckley? No use doing that. If we give ourselves up, all they can do is lash us. I'd rather be lashed than starve. But they'd be gone by now, Lee. It's a month since we run away. And we should have been in China three weeks ago, according to your reckoning. Don't give up. We'll get there yet. Why don't you give up pretending? You said the Chinese would make us into mandarins and give us a dozen wives apiece and the wives would serve us our food on bended knees in silken garments. But all we got to eat is lizards and snakes. Don't give way, Lee. We'll be food for the crows ourselves soon. Look at me ribs sticking out through the skin. You're no worse off than I am. You said we'd pretend to be mad if we saw any... There won't be much need to pretend. Hey, did you see that? What? I saw a head. Over that rock. A sodger? No. And there's one of them just stepped out from a tree. With his war paint on? We're surrounded, Lee. We're out for that spear. Pretend you're mad. Dance, sing, shout. Oh, too, too late. They got me, Buckley. Spear. Oh. He's dead. Come on, you devils. Can't you see I'm mad? I'm mad, I tell you. Mad. All right, kill me if you want to. If you're not going to kill me, for God's sake, give me food. Food, you ignorant heathen. Food, what goes in here? In mouth, see? Look. Oh, you ignorant heathen, I believe you're beginning to understand at last. The Aborigines took Buckley with his white skin and golden beard for the ghost of Bowen, one of their dead chiefs. For many years, despairing of reaching China, he dwelt among the Aborigines, wearing kangaroo skins, joining them in the chase, learning to speak their language. As a result of the pretense of madness which he always kept up, he was treated with great respect. His attempts to teach them English, however, failed until one day... Hulga, Bowen. Hello, my dear. You? You? You're speaking English. Me? You? Oh, you've been taking notice of me lessons after all. Go on. Hut. Yeah, that's a hut. Why do you keep on pointing at it? Hut. Me. You. Oh, I believe you want to marry me. Me, Lubra, for you. I'll marry on one condition. Me, Lubra, you. And that you. is that you let me teach you English. Oh, of course, you don't understand what I mean, but you will, my dear. You will. Now, I'll go long, Chief. Tell him we're going to have wedding and all the proper doings and trimming. For 30 years more, Buckley dwelt among the... His pretense of madness becoming at times almost a reality. The one thing that helped him to cling to sanity was the fact that he could talk broken English to his lubra. But presently, rumors began to trickle through to Buckley's tribe that the white ghosts from beyond the sea had appeared once more on the shores of Port Phillip. And with his faithful lubra, he set out to seek... Look, my dear, there's the beach. Beach? Me no like 
Come back. Don't you understand? I'm perishing for the sight of my own kin. Me? Your kin? No, you're not. Though you've been good to me. Look, there's a boat with people in it. People. Three men and a woman. Bowen, come with! Jarvi, Jarvi! Mogu! Mogu! It's no use. They're rowing away. They fright. You wave spear. Hey, come back! Come back! They're too far away now. They can't hear me. You talk them. Talk. Uh, So I did. I was that excited I forgot the use of my own tongue. Anyway, this shows that there's white settlers in Port Phillip. You come back, Bush. No fear. I'm going to look till I find them. They can lash me. They can put me in chains. I don't care. You go, white ghosts. Me go back, Bush. You mean that if I go to my people, you'll go back to yours? Well, that's the way of the world, my dear. I'm sorry, but I can't help it. I know what I'll do. I'll go north to the river Yarra. No, 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 go Yarra, Yarra. I'll go along the beach till either I find someone or make sure that there isn't an English gentleman after all. How's the carpentry going, John? I'll have this wall finished in half an hour. Dinner will be ready in ten minutes. I'll have to wait. I want to get the hut finished tonight. Oh, but, John, the dinner will be spoiled. Sorry, can't be helped. Settlers in a strange land. Look behind you, John. There's a man skulking behind that tree. It's... Where's your gun? It's here. Oh, don't shoot the poor creature unless he attacks you. John, I believe he's... He's as black as a burnt damper. Look at his beard. It's golden. He's just sunburned. I believe you're right. But he's wearing kangaroo skins. Hey, you there. Come out. Hey, you no shoot. Come on, I won't hurt you. Who are you? I'm Buckley. I live in Bushwood. Why? What year is this? 1835. Blimey. It's 33 years since I went bush. What's your name? Buckley. Came here with Governor Collins. Me and Lee went bush to look for China. China, eh? That's thousands of miles away. Can you imagine Buckley's chance of reaching China, Susan? Then I hear English arrive, and I walk hundred miles to look. John, the poor creature must be starving. Leave your work and bring him into dinner this very instant. In a few weeks' time, this man who had doubly escaped, first from the chain gang and then from the wilderness, fully recovered the use of his native tongue. He was granted a free pardon. And though he thereafter more or less lived the normal life of a white man, was of great use to the settlers as an intermediary with them. But he had not suffered any great harm from his life among them, shown by the fact that he lived to the age of 77, and then only died as the result of an accident. He has bequeathed to the English language a phrase which is descriptive of the futility of his attempt to reach China, Buckley's chance. That was Buckley's Chance from the 1945 series Famous Escapes. Now, let's hear the Keegan Gang of Australia on Shot and Shield.
Famous Escape. The Bush Rangers of Australia ranged in type from depraved desperados to those who affected the generosity and courtesy of Robin Hood. Among the more brutal gangs must be counted the Keegans. On a fine summer's evening, John Whitehead, a squatter in the Crookwell district, was sitting on the veranda of his homestead with his wife. What a beautiful sunset, John. Yes, my dear. On an evening like this, it's difficult to believe in the existence of crime and violence. I'm afraid there always will be crime and violence while there are men like the Keegans. Thank heavens they're over on the other side of the ranges. I never felt safe while they were in our district. They've never interfered with us. I heard today that the reward on their heads has been increased to 1,000 pounds. Oh, excuse me, Mum. Yes, what is it, Elsie? I've put the children to bed, but Master Tom wants to say good night to you. I'll be there in a minute. Who are those men riding up the paddock, John? Don't know. John, they look like... Do you think it could be... Yes, my dear. I'm afraid you're right. Evening, all. File up. Keep sitting right where you are, Mr. Whitehead. Who are you? What do you want? We're the Keegans, missus. But there won't be no trouble unless you make it yourselves. Joe. Yes, Tom? Go around the back and pick out the four best horses. How dare you steal my horses? Go and get them, Joe. Ah, right, Tom. I want your horses, Mr. Whitehead, because the police are hot on our track. I hope they catch you. John, please. You do as your missus says and keep your mouth shut, Whitehead. When I leave here, forget you've seen me. Forget I've seen you? Yes, when the police ask if I've been here. I've got the horses, Tom. Four beauties. All right, Joe. Come on, Al. Now, Mr. Whitehead, don't you forget what I said about the police. Good day to you all. Wait a minute, dear. Which way are they going? They're going round behind the bald-headed hill. If they do that, Mr. Whitehead, they'll be able to double back on their tracks. Yes, that's their game. The police must be after them. They'll get back to the road on the Berrimer side of the police. And then they'll make for the Macquarie Rangers. Yes. I'll get my horse and meet the troopers. Oh, John, don't do that. If I warn them in time, they'll be able to double back, too. They'll catch the Keegans in an ambush. John, the Keegans will kill you. No, they won't, my dear. They'll be captured. Remember what they did to the Henrys for informing? Sorry, I can't wait any longer. If you won't think of yourself, think of me and the children. I'm sorry, my dear. But I know my duty as a citizen, and I'm going to do it. Oh, Elsie, it's daylight, and still there's no sign of the master. Oh, never mind, Mum. He'll be all right. No harm can come to Molly for the police. I wish I felt sure of that. Elsie, I can hear someone riding up. Oh, there he is, Mum. Coming round the corner of the paddock. Yes, it's the master. He's safe. I'll go look after the children, Mum. Are you all right, John? Of course I'm all right. You look as though you've been up all night. We have, Elsie and I, both of us. Oh, you poor darling. Were you worried about me? Mm. I've been with the police all night. Did you see the Keegans? We nearly ambushed them, but they got away. Was anyone hurt? They shot one of the troopers. Did they see you, John? I'm afraid so. You won't be safe now. Rot. Do you think I'll let myself be frightened by a pack of cowardly bush rangers? What do you say to some breakfast, old girl? I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. 
Well, my dear, it's a month now since I helped the police. I know, John. Thank God you've given up making me carry a gun every time I leave the homestead. Just a minute, John. Elsie? Elsie? Uh, come in, Mum. I wonder would you see if you can find my bracelet. Yes, where is it? I left it down by the creek this afternoon when I was playing with the children. Whereabouts, Mrs. Whitehead? I think you'll find it under the big willow tree. You'll have light enough to see. It's not more than a quarter of a mile away. All right, Mum, I'll go at once. Thank you, Elsie. It's all very well for you to laugh about the Keegans, John, but you don't know what a night I passed. Expecting any minute to hear that you were dead. I'm sorry for laughing at you, my dear. But it was my duty as a citizen. Don't forget you have a wife and children. I remembered that when I thought of the reward. It's getting dark. John, look. Four horsemen. You can just see them. It's the Keegans. You go inside and get the children. Make them lie down on the floor. What are you going to do? Get my gun. Oh, John, don't. Hadn't you better surrender peaceably? Get along, my dear. And look after those two. Children to lie down, John. Then go and lie down with them. John Whitehead, I call on you to surrender. I won't surrender. I hit one of them, Susan. Bring out! Surround the house! Oh, John, I wish you hadn't hit him. I'll beat the brutes off. Missed. When the stockmen hear the firing, they'll come up to the homestead and rescue us. I never heard yet of station hands coming to the rescue of their boss, not against bush rangers. Curse it. Missed him again. It's getting too dark for good shooting. They're very quiet, John. They're not firing anymore. Don't look round, Whitehead. <laughs> Drop your rifle. It's Keegan. He got in the back way. You can turn round now, Whitehead, but keep your hands up. Is that you, Joe? Yes, Tom. We've locked all the men in one of the back rooms. Good. I'll go and have a look at Dick. Right. Now, Whitehead, I'll give you just five minutes to say your prayers. You're not going to kill my husband, are you? Yes, Mrs. But if you keep your mouth shut... No harm will come to you. I was only doing my duty, Keegan, when I informed the police. All dirty informers deserve to be shot. But I wasn't going to kill you when we came here. Then why did you say... We was just going to burn your house down to teach a lesson. But you shot my brother, Dick. He was trying to shoot me. It was self-defense. Look here. If I shoot a trooper that's out to get me, that ain't self-defense. Not in the eyes of the law. It's murder. And as far as I'm concerned, it was murder when you shot my brother. You better go into the next room, Mrs. Why? Your husband's five minutes is up now. Oh, you can't. Hey, you mustn't. Tom. What is it? Dick ain't dead. What? He's still breathing. Did you put him on the veranda? Yes. Well, I'm going to have a look at him. Joe, keep watch over Whitehead and his listener. Right, Joe. He's still alive. Good. You go and look after him while I settle with Whitehead. All right, Tom. Is Bob watching the hands in the back room? Yes. You won't kill my husband now that you've found your brother's alive, will you? It ain't your husband's fault he's alive. Just think of our children. Three little children. All right. I'll tell you what I'll do. What? If my brother lives, I'll just burn the homestead down. Oh. Oh, thank you. But if he dies, you're for it, Whitehead. We'll know by morning whether he'll live or not. He's shot through the lungs. Joe. Yeah? As soon as you can leave, Dick, get some tucker ready. Right out, Tom. There's still Elsie, John. Where is she? Don't you remember? She went down to the creek for my bracelet. She must have heard the firing. Yes. What good will that do? It's 30 miles to the nearest police. She can get a horse at Easton's halfway. She ought to be able to get the police here by dawn. But what if the man doesn't live until dawn? 
Besides, they may have captured her for all we know. They haven't said anything about it. Hey, you, stop that chatter in there. Keep your hands on the table, both of you, and sit up straight. It's nearly daylight, John. You poor darling. What a night you've had. I don't care what happens to me, so long as you're all right. I wish I knew if Elsie got away. Here comes Joe Keegan. Harry, Tom. Yeah? He's thinking fast. Uh, you stay with the prisoners while I have a look at him. Right, Joe, Tom. Follow down. How is he, Tom? He's dead. Are you going to shoot Whitehead now? Yeah. You go and watch on that veranda. Righto, Tom. Only be quick. You can go into the other room if you like, Mrs. Oh, please. You can't kill my husband. He, it was fair fight. You know what I think about that. But his children and me, we'll give you all the money we have. All the money in the world won't bring my brother back. Now, Whitehead, you've had all night to say your prayers. Mrs., if you don't get into the next room... Oh, there are troopers coming around the bend. What? Troopers! Police! Keep him eyes looking the other way. Yes. Oh, God. Pull him over, John. Pull him over. Knock him. Darling, what did you do? Hit him with the poker. Oh, you saved my life. You watch this fellow. I'll go after Joe. You needn't go after Joe, Mr. Whitehead. Sergeant Gray. We've got Joe and the fellow out the back. Looks to me as though you're going to collect a pretty good reward for your night's work, Mr. Whitehead. And so, through the loyalty of his servant, Elsie, who fetched the police, and the devotion of his wife, who persuaded the bush rangers to delay killing him, John Whitehead not only escaped death, but gained a large reward into the bargain. A fitting end to the story of a man so intrepid and determined as he. That was the Keegan Gang of Australia from the series Famous Escapes produced in 1945, Australia. I like it. It had this uh, sort of Western flair about it. That was That's for sure. But uh, finally, I present to you from the same series, the infamous story of the Kelly Gang of Australia on Shot and Shield. In its short history, Australia has had more than its share of bushrangers. Some of these bandits were criminals of the worst type. Others embarked in a life of crime, more perhaps from unfortunate circumstances than at the urge of vicious natures. But among Australian bushrangers, the Kelly gang stands out. Their career started with the issue of a warrant for the arrest of Dan Kelly on a charge of cattle stealing. There's someone riding up to the house, Dan. Let's look. 
It's Trooper Fitzpatrick, Kite. He must have come to arrest you about that cattle duffing. Where's Ned? He's out at the back of the house. I'll go and get him. No, it's too late. Good day, Dan. Good day, Kate. Good day, Jack. What do you want, Trooper Fitzpatrick? I want Dan here to come for a ride with me. Where? You know well enough. The vanilla. Well, Dan, are you coming quietly? I was just going to eat my dinner, Jack. Will you wait till I've finished? All right, Dan. If Kate will give us a kiss. Give us a kiss, Kate. Let me go, you beast. Let her go, Jack. Oh, no harm, men. Just a bit of fun. What are you doing with my sister, Fitzpatrick? Ah, oh, here's Ned. He'll fix you. I've come to take Dan back to Vanilla. What for? You know well enough. Cattle duffing. Have you got a warrant? No, but I reckon this revolver will do instead. No one arrests my brother without a warrant. Put your hands up, Jack. Drop that revolver. Oh, you killed him, Ned. No. Just shot him in the wrist. You'll pay for this, Kelly. Next time, don't go playing around with revolvers, Jack. Hey, Kate, you better tie his wrist up. What are you going to do, Ned? You'll have all the troopers after you now. Me? I'll just go into the ranks and get all this clothes off. for me, Superintendent? Yes, McIntyre. I'm sending out a party of four men to bring in the Kellys. A party? Arrest those boys? It's just possible that they might give trouble. They've been joined by Steve Hart and Joe Byrne now. You don't expect them to resist arrest? Oh, they'll probably fire a few shots to show off. If they give in without a struggle, their friends will laugh at them. Come in. I make him die. What's the matter with you? It's the Kelly's. They're all dead. Who's dead? The Kellys? No. The troopers. Kennedy, Scanlon, and Lonigan. All of them except me. My God. They came into our camp while the others were away and bailed me up. And murdered the others? I called on them to surrender first. It was fair fight. Are you fit to ride, McIntyre? Yes. All right. I'll get a party together, and you can lead us out to the scene of the future. But for many weeks, no trace of the Kellys could be found. They had taken refuge in the Strathbogie Ranges. And they had for their hiding place 11,000 square miles of tangled and roadless hills with swift creeks, unknown valleys, and vast stretches of scrub. So far, even when murdering the troopers sent against them, they had acted purely in self-defense. But now they embarked on a career of active crime. Making some 50 prisoners, they bailed up the bank at Euroa and escaped with 2,000 pounds. A few months later, they took possession of the township of Geraldery, locking the troopers in their own cells and looting the bank. Under the spur of strong public criticism, the police did all they could to bring the Kellys to book, even importing trackers from Queensland. But all was in vain until one day, Ned rode into the camp with me. I've got a bit of news for you, boys. What is it, Ned? Aaron Sterrett's helping the police. Aaron Sterrett turned informer? Now I believe it. It's a fact. My own mother saw him helping the police to lay an ambush. We gotta stop it, Ned. Sterrett knows too much about us. We'll kill him. Listen, I got an idea. What? Aren't you getting a bit tired of being chivied here, there, and everywhere by the police? What do you think? And we're running short of boodle, ain't we? We could do with a bit of money. All right. Ken and I will kill Sterrett in his house at Woolshed. While we're doing that, you and Steve hold up Glen Rowan. What? Me and Ned hold up the whole of Glen Rowan by ourselves? Sure, you can do it easy. Didn't you hold up Geraldery? All you do is round up anyone that's unreasonable. Look him in the hotel and keep him there. Then you wait till Dan and I arrive. But bullshit is 40 miles from Glen Rowan. That's all right. We'll cover it in three hours. Just a minute, Joe. When the police hear about Sterrett, they'll send a special force against us. By train. And Glen Rowan is the nearest railway station to Woolshed. 
Uh, get off the train at Glen Rowland, and then we'll be trapped. No, we won't. Why not? You know that sharp curve the railway line takes just outside Glen Rowland? Yeah. Well, we'll tear the line up there. The train will fall down the embankment. I catch on. We'll be on the embankment. Them that ain't killed by the fall will shoot. But, Ned, that'd be murder. Well, the troopers are trying to murder us, ain't they? I reckon they'll be more careful after this. It's a good idea, Joe. Now, today's Wednesday. On Saturday night, you and Dan ride over to Woolshed and do stare at him. While Steve and I bail up Glen Rubble. Who's there? It's me, Dan Kelly. What do you want, Dan? Dust die, all traitors! He's dead, Dan. Come on, get on our horses and make for Glen Rowan. There's another one, Ned. Uh, who's he? He's the school teacher. Kernow's his name. Good day, Mr. Kernow. So you're the school teacher? Uh, yes, Mr. Kelly. Uh. Well, I want you to give the children holiday tomorrow. A uh, holiday? Why? In honor of the visit of Ned Kelly to Glen Rowan. <laughs> All right, Carno, get in there with the others. How many is that now, Steve? Fifty, all told. All right. We've got all of them as might be misguided enough to start trouble. Who's that? It's Dan and Joe Byrne. Ah. Did you kill Aaron Sterrett? Yeah. So die all traitors. Have you torn up the railway line? Yes. We got the telegraph operator in here. When we hear that train coming, we'll go out to the embankment and kill off them troopers that's been chasing us the last two years. Listen, Ned. I think I can hear the train. Yes, Joe. All right, boys. Put your armor on and we'll go out and finish them off. We must be getting near Glen Rowan now, Superintendent. Yes, but I suppose it's only another false alarm. The scene of the crime is 40 miles from Glen Rowan. Yes, sir. They'll be in the hills long before we get there. The train is beginning to stop. Something must be the matter. Look, there's a man beside the track with a red lantern. Come on. We'll see what's the matter. What's the matter? Why have you stopped the train? The Kellys have torn up the railway line. The Kellys? Where are they? In the hotel. Come on, Steele. We've got them cornered at last. Oh, wait a minute. How many troopers have you got? Forty. And there's ten more coming from Benalla. The Kellys have armor. Armor? They made it from nail kings. And I reckon it's full of The train stopped, Ned. That means someone must have warned them the line was up. All right. Come on, all of you. Dan and Steve and Joe. We'll line up on the veranda. And give the police a warm welcome. Ain't hey, it? Yeah, that's right. Then we'll get out the back and be on our horses and off. We needn't be frightened of the police bullets now, eh? No. Put your helmet on, Steve, and we'll wait for them on the veranda. There's the hotel, Superintendent. Yes. Now, if I know the Kellys, they'll have a few shots at us and then get out the back way. Why not surround the hotel? We've plenty of men. All right, Steele. You take 30 men and put them round the back and the sides and then come back here to me. That's the Kellys firing. They must have seen us. Quick with your men. Round the sides and the back. I've got the hotel surrounded, sir. Good. I think we hit one of them while he was away. Where are the other three? I can't see them. They've gone back inside the hotel. I've sent a wire down to Melbourne for a field gun. We'll blow them out. It'll be hours before a field gun could be got here, sir. I've got a better idea than that. What? 
Where are you going? The hotel's made of wood. I'll set fire to it. Come back! You'll be shot! I've set the light, sir. Good, well. I don't know why you weren't killed. They'll soon be smoked out now. Well, we are ready for them. They can't get away. Look, sir, there's one of them coming down the steps. I'll have a shot at him. Sworn I'd get in them. It's his armor. It just sheds the bullets. Look out, sir. He's coming for us. I'll get you, you swabs. The whole lot of you. I'll get you. He'll have you, Steele. No, he won't. Ah, I've got you. Hit him in the leg. You surrender, Ned? Uh, I, I surrender? I, how did you hit me? With a shotgun. That wasn't fair. No, you shooting at your legs with a rifle. Where's the rest of them? Steve Hart and Joe Byrne is dead. And where's Dan? Well, you got me, Steele. I suppose it's the hangman's noose for me. Yes, Ned, you'll be hanged all right. But where's your brother, Dan? Oh, don't worry about him, Steele. You'll never catch him now. But is he in the hotel? I'm not letting on. But he's somewhere where the police will never catch him. So ended the career of the Kelly Gang, illustrating the old adage that crime does not pay. When the police investigated the burning hotel, they found the remains of Steve Hart and Joe Byrne. The remains of a third body were discovered. But whether they were all that was left of Dan Kelly, or were, as Ned maintained, the remains of a swagman who was killed accidentally, will never be known. Whether or not Dan Kelly made his escape from the hotel, he certainly, unlike his brother Ned, escaped the hangman's noose. last three short radio features from 1945 called Famous Escapes, produced in Australia. Uh, the first one was called Buckley's Chance. The second one, The Keegan Gang of Australia. And lastly, The Kelly Gang of Australia. Good stuff. And thus ends this edition of the Shot and Shield podcast. The next episode will download on the 25th of this month and will feature my review of Ridley Scott's movie, Napoleon, and a vintage feature called Port of Call, plus your emails. And with that said, you've been listening in Atepani, Romania, Campinas, Brazil, and Lake Forest, California to Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to 19th century wargaming and history, a program meant to be heard while you're painting your miniatures and building your terrain I have been your host, the Grand Duke Scott from the Duchy of Florida, and I'm out. This has been a production of the Experience 13 Podcast Network. 13! Your electricity.